This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome in to episode number 151 here on the Huskies Warming House Podcast. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant, for another show here in late February, the last week of February, essentially, because of the short month as usual. And uh, the hockey season getting shorter and shorter into the regular season. We're already starting conference tournaments this upcoming week here in the college hockey world for some teams and finishing the last week of the regular season for others, including the men's team and the NCHC. So obviously a big weekend to recap down in Omaha for the men's team. And then on the women's side, of course, the closure of the WCHA playoff round up in Duluth as well. Uh, other things that we have to talk about, a very good week for the Minnesota Wild, and suddenly they might be buyers at the trade deadline, according to Bill Guerin, instead of what we anticipated maybe a week ago. So we'll touch on that, of course. And then our extra ice session, we are going to try to predict the pool of 16 for the NCAA men's hockey tournament and i don't know how well we did but every year we do this it seems to get worse and worse compared to what we think it's going to be relative to what it's actually going to be but we're going to do our best and take a stab at it as uh, we always like to do so without further ado we start with the huskies illustrated weekly roundup in centerized view news and notes Centerize View News and Notes. Centerize View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. SU News and Notes, Noah, and as we approach the NHL trade deadline, which is this upcoming Friday, March 3rd, um, it looks like the seal is kind of broken a little bit. Um, so we saw a couple of trades last weekend. Of course, uh, the Patrick Kane watch is in full effect. Again, the Rangers making a couple of moves, putting uh, Jake LeCision on waivers and making some other roster moves. They made a trade over to the Vancouver Canucks for a, uh, for a prospect. Um, again, all the indications that, that they are making the necessary cap and roster moves to free up the necessary space to acquire Patrick Kane, although, uh, again, Patrick Kane's in control of it. But how about the trades that did take place? And there's also going to be a couple of breaking trades that break down, so bear with me. Uh, Nito Niederreiter, former Minnesota Wild winger, uh, going from the Nashville Predators to the Winnipeg Jets for a 2024 seven-round pick. Um, 28 points in 56 games played, so he's had a, a decent year so far. Yeah. Uh, but here's the big one. Boston Bruins acquiring both Ford Garnett Hathaway and defenseman Dimitri Orloff from the Washington Capitals. 
um, in exchange for forward Craig Smith and a 2023 first round pick. Now, mind you, um, the Minnesota Wild were also involved as uh, salary retention partners in this. The Minnesota Wild to get, I believe, a fifth round pick in this trade uh, in 2023 uh, as they were retaining 25% of Dimitri Orlov's yeah. salary. So big it's, one by the Boston Bruins, already a scary team um, yeah. as it is. It's, uh, you know, the same as the, um, I think we forgot to mention, by the way, the trade, of course, with Toronto last time, the Wild only eat about $88,000 in that trade. Actual yeah, salary. Yeah, yeah, for actual salary. Um, so, and that's where people say, well, how can Patrick Kane be traded to the Rangers, for example? Well, that's why, because you're, you know, yep. actual salary remaining on that deal. But uh, you know who actually this really hurts more than anybody? Uh, speaking of St. Cloud, this really hurts a guy like Nick Dowd. Uh, you know, when we talked to him, he really liked playing with Garnet Hathaway and they had a lot of chemistry. Nick Dowd having a really great year and earning uh, some money for the Capitals as well. So mm-hmm. we'll have to see how he kind of responds with that. But yeah. Um, On top of that, uh, it sounds like because of that move, uh, the Capitals have entered the chat for Jacob Chikrin. Um, yeah. that's been some things that have been on 32 thoughts. Again, Elliot Friedman, uh, Jeff Merrick up there at sports and I do a fantastic job and it makes sense Noah too, because if you're the Arizona coyotes, um, I know that some of the partners have been out there, the Los Angeles Kings, I think even the Dallas stars have shown interest. Uh, I know typically with big fish, you want to move, uh, those pieces out of the conference to, so they don't come back to bite you. Um, and the last time they could bite you would be a Stanley cup final run. Uh, so that might make more sense. The yeah. uh, question is, does Washington have the, uh, the process, you know, I guess the, the necessary tools to give up. They kind of do. We're now with first round pick coming from Boston. Uh, now the question is, do they want to give up one for, uh, with a deep draft coming up? And I think with Alex Govetchen, I think they want to retool on the fly. It makes sense to me for them to go after chick. Right yeah. Now. It's, it really does. Well, I think the scariest part of this whole thing is the Boston Bruins didn't need to do this. Like that's right. how good they are and they did it anyway. And it's like, is this reminiscent of the 2018 or was it, was it 2019 Tampa Bay lightning 2019? Yeah. yeah. Where they didn't need to do anything. They really didn't. And then they didn't win a single game in the quarterfinals. So yeah, um, that would be, that would be just a, a funny repeat of history. If that did happen, yeah. I, don't, I don't think that'll happen, but the cupboards are already full in Boston and they decided to go to the store for, for some more snacks. Basically. I mean, they're, they're waiting for a nuclear fallout. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, to keep, to keep the train rolling here, Noah, um, the Ottawa senator is also making a move uh, trading defenseman Nikita Zaitsev, the former Maple Leaf and a second row pick in 2023, a fourth pick in 2026 to Chicago for future considerations. So, um, again, Chicago uh, looking to uh, continue to bolster their 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 cap uh, cupboards here again, as you could say, um, as they uh, begin to do a deep rebuild over there in Chicago. And the Ottawa Center is again uh, just disappointing this year. Again, we thought that they've been would have been much better. And, uh, again, they seem to be selling through the deadline. Uh, another big one that has already coming off is uh, the Golden Knights uh, trading uh, Shea Weber's contract, the Coyotes for um, a prospect Dyson Mayo. They also got, a, I believe, a late round pick in that trade as well. The Golden Knights did. Um, <clears throat> uh, correct me if I'm wrong there. But um, this is interesting because, mind you, Vegas has been uh, a team that's used uh, LTIR to help them spend more money. And with uh, what that indicates to me, Noah, is that with... Uh, their captain Mark Stone going down. 
that tells me with this move that they don't expect him to return. So I don't think you're going to see Mark Stone coming back and at the earliest it would be before a playoff run, uh, thus allowing him to make this move uh, to Arizona, which will allow them to get at least, you know, a hit to the cap floor a little bit with the salary. So that is good for Arizona. Now for some breaking trades here before we get to some of the waiver news on um, the Dallas and Montreal, a trade just today here on Sunday, um, both teams, uh, so right now, uh, Montreal trading to Dallas, Evgeny Dadanov, and in return, they're getting uh, Dennis Gurionov, who uh, has been, uh, shall we say, had a bit of a down year. Um, he's got quite a cannon for a one-timer, Dennis Gurionov does, and Dadanov, of course, um, has been around the league a little bit. Uh, certainly a nice depth piece uh, for Dallas, who is looking to, uh, again, secure some of their bottom six for a deeper run. And I'm trying to find the other trade uh, it was, here. It was Vegas. That's why I was kind of surprised you didn't stick with them. It's Ivan Barbashev, I believe. Barbashev, yep. Ivan yeah. Barbashev to um, the Golden Knights uh, from the St. Louis Blues. And from what is being reported, too, and I think this is interesting, is that uh, they still believe the Vegas Golden Knights are in on Timo Meyer still from the San Jose Sharks. So uh, I know that uh, the New Jersey Devils are also in. Uh, on the Timo Meyer uh, sweepstakes, as we can see, and uh, it sounds like there is an expectation that uh, that Timo Meyer deal may come down as as soon as today. So, um, some of those uh, breaking trades here this morning. So we appreciate uh, appreciate everybody working with us here as uh, these things just kind of come out of the blue, and uh, we're starting to see. Uh, it looks like the the trade um, floodgates open up here a little bit here on this Sunday again, less than a week before yeah. the deadline here, Friday at three o'clock Eastern. Yeah, we'll know. Uh, we'll know obviously by the show next week. Of course, everything and how it gets hashed out. And I always kind of like that when you know we're not right up against the deadline when we have a chance to really break it down. So obviously, we'll take oh, a look. I, and- I disagree. I, I used to love. Okay, so for those who ever watched TSN Trade Center, um, they used to carry it at the U.S. They had two desks. They had the the desk in front that was uh, James Duffy. Um, I think uh, a couple of other panelists, and then behind them was a second, and it was Bob McKenzie, Pierre LeBron, and a couple of others, and there's sitting there on their blackberries and in the middle of a conversation from the front panel all of a sudden it'd be a lebron would go like oh Sagan from boston to dallas and they would just be like still typing away yeah no i don't crazy yeah no i don't disagree for live tv i mean for our show is what i'm saying so we don't we don't miss anything is what i mean our show though no come on yeah well somebody i'm sure um other than that uh two waiver things uh st louis also claiming uh casper kapanen off of waivers from pittsburgh and the canadians claiming chris tierney off waivers from the panthers as well so scored in his debut with the montreal canadians too. yeah chris tierney yeah so um let's stick with florida here our second to last topic here just a quick one spencer knight uh, a little bit surprising here unfortunately uh entering the player assistance program he announced that two days ago so wishing him the best of luck and then uh uh, interesting up? on that note too no i don't want to cut you off but he was actually being sent to the minors um when this uh when the story came up so they actually were going to put him down a con- i believe a conditioning stint um and then he ended up voluntarily from what i understand going to the player assistance program so that move was indeed canceled so uh just interesting timing you kind of wonder if that was a wake-up call to him a little bit uh yeah. obviously we don't know the details but again spencer knight into the player assistance program as you mentioned yeah wishing him the best of luck and then a couple of injuries here uh the jets cole perfetti out at least eight weeks with an upper body injury that's certainly- Certainly hurts a little bit of a reason for Nino Niederreiter as well. Um, Nashville Predators, uh, Johansson, he's out 12 weeks after being cut by a skate and having surgery on his uh, right leg. So Ryan Johansson for Nino Niederreiter too. 
Yeah, so that's yeah. Uh, that's tough. Uh, for the Leafs, uh, will Jake Muzzin ever play hockey again? Um, I, I cervical say, spine. Ew. I say that lightly. He's thirty four. Um, cervical spine injury. Um, and then he's been injured quite a bit the last few years. Um, and with this, and and Noah, obviously, you can speak to this more than I can. But uh, cervical spine injury doesn't sound something you that even when you recover uh, doesn't sound like you you're shall we say maybe it's supposed to do a contact sport yeah it's a it's a hard place to um one work on obviously two it's a dangerous place to work on obviously mm-hmm. because you're so close to uh you know the brain stem and that sort of thing but um yeah you you really wonder about that and that's where we get into this conversation what matters more to you playing hockey or you know your long-term health of course stanley cup champion with the la kings as well too so we'll have to see and then uh in new york uh, matthew barzal week to week due to injury he's expected back this season but we'll have to see and welcome in to the main portion of the show the huskies warming house podcast episode 151 nick maxson with myself noah grant here on this sunday we will record i believe monday night next week so expect a tuesday morning release and then we should get back to relative normal at least uh, we'll see um depending on what scheduling is at least hopefully for some of the upcoming nchg playoff stuff so we'll have to see uh for that as well and we might have some pretty good coverage of that coming up as well too nick but uh yeah, other than that here, um, hockey, we are essentially halfway um, through the regular season for a lot of these conferences. Really, it's only Hockey East, uh, the NCHC, and our independents, which can't wait to talk about them, to be totally honest with you. There's one team that really <laughs> uh, is providing some intrigue here as we approach uh, tournament time. Uh, but yeah, let's start in the Big Ten. Why don't we hear uh, lots to talk about Wisconsin, Penn State. Uh, it was a 6-1 to victory the first night for Penn State. No surprise there. But Wisconsin eking out the 2-1 to victory yesterday against the Nittany Lions. That kind of stings a little bit I if does. you're Penn State. Uh Notre Dame and Michigan doing battle. It was actually Notre Dame twice, first in a shootout, four to three. And then yesterday's game was exceptional, two to one in overtime. The Fighting Irish get the victory. Um, very good series setting up a very good matchup here and really kind of turning the tables a little bit. You look at the Big Ten standings, uh, Michigan State, who was off, actually dropped to like sixth, seventh around there. And the mm-hmm. point disparities between all of the teams besides Wisconsin and Minnesota are like two or three points between two through seven. So it's it's been crazy. And then Ohio State uh, getting swept by Minnesota pretty handily. 9-2 um, was the final over the weekend in terms of scoring for the Gophers compared to the Buckeyes. So not exactly a not ideal. builder. Yeah. And for Michigan State, too, uh, they've dropped to 19th in the pairwise. And, you know, they were they've been kind of hanging around that 15, 16 mark. And with some of the results of this last weekend, uh, that puts them in a pretty precarious position. They're going to have to make a run of the Big Ten tournament title to probably get a bid into the NCAA tournament. Now that we're at where we are in the calendar. So uh, you talk about worst case scenario for the Spartans that sort of came down on them this weekend. Yeah, so uh, we'll talk and preview a little bit about that in just a few moments here. We'll try to maybe predict some of those bigger ones, I think, uh, for sure. We'll probably take a look at the Big Ten and CCHA as far as those tournaments are concerned. Northern Michigan, a bit of a disruptor this weekend. 4-2 victories each night against Bowling Green. That's a tough one. Is it a disruptor, though? Yeah, in terms of them (laughs) trying to catch Michigan Tech, maybe. I mean, it's... Yeah, I I don't know if I look at it that way. Um, If What I look at is... Northern Michigan, where the hell did they come out of the closet the last couple of weeks? Uh, and I say that respectfully because we sort of 
have been disappointed with uh, the Wildcats this season. It was supposed to be this, you know, sort of resurgence year for them. And we, we have all been said that this team is just not what we expected. And uh, all of a sudden with uh, the end of the season on the horizon, they decided to turn um, on the gas pedal and turn on the auxiliary rocket power too. Um, this is yeah. an impressive weekend for the Wildcats. And mm-hmm. uh, right now, one of the hotter teams going into the CCHA tournament, which starts this next weekend. You know, I look at it in a different light. I look at it as they started the season really well and had a good first half and then struggled. They kind of fell off the table and now they've maybe started to come back to what we expected in the first half kind of thing. So maybe they weren't, they were gone, but not forgotten kind of thing in the second half. And now maybe they're kind of returning to form. But nonetheless, I, all of these conference tournaments, I would say really besides the ECAC, which in historical years has provided a lot of intrigue out of the blue so don't even count them out i every conference tournament this year has a chance for a team that is not an auto bid or or, sorry an at-large bid to be an auto bid team winning their conference tournament so there's a lot of intrigue on the line here i think the ccha is definitely one of those uh conference tournaments as well uh lake superior state sweeping ferris state three two in overtime and four to two so a couple of good victories yeah for the lakers I mean, it doesn't really change who they're going to get in their first round matchup uh, in their conference tournament, but a little bit of confidence no. builder uh, moving into that. Michigan Tech, Mankato splitting. Tech 2-0, Mankato 3-2 last night. And then Bemidji State, St. Thomas. It was the Tommies actually in night number one, uh, disrupting slightly. 3-1 victory for them, and then they got trounced pretty badly yesterday. 7-2 was the final score for Bemidji. That one was in St. Thomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, ECAC action here. Cornell winning their games, Quinnipiac, Harvard, all winning both their Friday and Saturday games. Although Harvard's Saturday victory was 3-2 to two over Clarkson, but nobody was upset last weekend, so nothing really notable to talk about for the ECAC. Um, Hockey East here, uh, BU beating Vermont on Friday and Saturday, I believe, was 2-0 or 3-0 was the final score, so the Terriers a sweep there. Uh, Northeastern splitting with UMass as well, so... Northeastern kind of on the outside looking in right now. Same with Merrimack. They swept UMass Lowell, but they kind of did some damage to themselves in the second half of the season, and they're pretty much going to have to win the Hockey East tournament to have a chance here. Uh, UNH losing to UConn 6-1. to There's another team that, I mean, I thought Hockey East, you looked maybe a month or two ago, we thought they were going to maybe pull three or four teams out of that conference the way that some of them had rolling, and then everybody kind of came back down to earth and beat up on each other. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it has not been ideal for Hockey East if you're a fan over there. That's what you get for scheduling weird schedules. Yep. (laughs) That's all all I'm going to put out there. RIT continues to roll in Atlantic Hockey. They swept Air Force and AIC uh, sweeping Sacred Heart. It was a shootout victory in night number one and then a 5-0 victory in the second night. Sacred Heart having a good season as well. There's a tournament that even though RIT is kind of the big dog there, which it used to be AIC, so good to see somebody else have a great season Anybody could take the cake in Atlantic hockey right now. RIT is the closest in terms of pairwise at 22. So whoever wins that conference is the only one that's going to be in. Um, Safe Mm -hmm. to say. Independent wise here, Anchorage traveled uh, um, to UConn on Thursday. They lost four to three in overtime and they traveled to Long Island Saturday and won four to nothing. So good to see the Seawolves kind of end on a high note there um, for that weekend. Then Alaska sweeping Arizona State four to two both nights, and Lindenwood losing to the under eighteen team six to one. So this Nanooks team here, when we talk a little bit in our extra ice session, they're at twelve right now in the pairwise, and they've got Lindenwood 
coming up this weekend. So they have only made the NCAA tournament one time has Alaska Fairbanks, and that was back in 2010. So they lost to Boston College 3-1 in the first round that year. So would love to see an independent team uh, punch their ticket to a tournament again. So they have Lindenwood to close out the regular season, I believe, this weekend. Anchorage will host Arizona State as far as the independents. The only other regular season action besides the NCHC going on here, Nick, what's on tap? Providence travels to BU, Northeastern at UMass Lowell, UConn a home-and-home against BC, and Vermont a Saturday matchup against Merrimack. So that is it besides the NCHD for the regular season. So let's take a look at some of these tournaments here. The ECAC tournament will be underway, and the Atlantic Hockey tournaments will be underway. Both of those, I would imagine Quinnipiac or Harvard are the frontrunners for the ECAC, but anybody could realistically come out of that. Um, So we could be in for a surprise there. Atlantic Hockey, of course, will provide our auto bid. Um, the question is where. Mm-hmm. Well, let's start with uh, the CCHA, and then we'll go to the Big Ten here. Um, CCHA, uh, number eight, Lake Superior State, takes on number one, Mankato. Let's start with that matchup. Who do you have? I mean, come on. Really? Lake Superior State, obviously. Of course. <laughs> Mankato is likely to win that hockey uh, matchup there, but you never know. Uh, number seven, St. Thomas has number two, Michigan Tech. Um I think I know who you're picking in this. My question to you is, you know, is this something that pushes, you know, beyond our expectation and is a lot tighter than we expect or. Uh, Michigan tech has historically owned this matchup. So I think it's Michigan tech in two games. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to take a look at the tournament bracket here just to make sure that, uh, yeah, three three weekends is what, uh, yes, Friday through Sunday. I just want to make sure. Um, I totally believe you, but I want to make sure that I have the tournament format right because yeah, um, three in the first. Yeah, time. sometimes it's hard to keep it straight. Uh, and then Ferris State, number six, gets number three, Bowling Green. I this see is Bowling, interesting. Yeah, I see Bowling Green sweeping just because Ferris State has kind of struggled really as struggled. of recent. Um, Same with Northern Michigan. I think they knock, knock all Bemidji State. Really? Okay. I yeah. do. I think Bemidji State has had a colossal collapse the second half of the season, um, and Northern Michigan's playing some of their best hockey. Bemidji State took out some anger in the St. Thomas Tommies yesterday with that 7-2 win, but I still think Northern Michigan's the better squad here. Bemidji State just has too trouble scoring too much, um, despite the you know the seven on the board. Uh, St. Thomas, you know, had their one-on and one-off kind of weekend that we've seen uh, over the course of the second half of the season, so I don't put too much stock into it. I think it's the Wildcats that take care of business against the Beavers. That one could push three games, though. Yeah, I have Bemidji State in three in that one, actually. I, I have not been enamored with Northern Michigan in the second half, and I don't think... I'm I not think, either, but... I think Bemidji State has been a consistent force for whatever reason. I mean, it's not like they've wavered up and down. I think like Northern Michigan has, I think Northern Michigan provides the X factor, depending on what you get from them from the weekend is going to determine a lot, but Midgie state hasn't been enamoring in their play, but they've been consistent in what they brought to the table over each weekend. So I think that you know what to expect from Bemidji, and it's really on Northern Michigan to simply be better. Um, I think Bemidji um, historically at tournament time has really kind of, you know, been able to turn up the heat. I think it's going to be Bemidji as the five seed um, with the little mini upset right there. Actually, Northern Michigan swooped in and stole uh, the four seed there from Bemidji State with their victories this weekend. And the Tommies, of course, their victory against the Beavers as well. So CCHA tourney, um, lots to play for there. 
Big Ten tournament. Of course, Minnesota has the bye in the first round this upcoming weekend. So it'll be number seven, Wisconsin, number two, Michigan. Um, I think this one could go to three games. <laughs> Seriously, I, I don't I, I, I know a lot of people disagree, but the Badgers have played mini spoiler a little bit over the past couple weekends. I think Michigan's way too strong, but I, I don't think you're out of your mind. Honestly, well, I mean, we already knew that. Um, I like I said, I, I I think Michigan definitely wins, but I know I wouldn't be shocked. Too no way. I I think I get what you're saying, but I just don't think Michigan is going to allow the Badgers to get any sort of traction in this. I know Michigan has its own expectations for themselves. I don't expect them to give Wisconsin any bit of room to give themselves any confidence in the series. I think Michigan will put the hammer down. Uh, not only the Wisconsin season, but potentially um, a career of coach Tony Granato. Yeah, we'll have to see. Ohio State, number three, hosting number six, Penn State here. Um, this matchup has pairwise implications here, just specifically for the Nittany Lions, but also really for Ohio State. They're right next to each other in the pairwise here. Uh, this is where it starts to get a little bit difficult. Uh, who do you have in this one? For Penn State and Ohio State? Yeah. I have Ohio State on this one. Um, Penn State can score. There's no question about it. Um, but so can the, so can the, uh, the Buckeyes. But I, I think the, the big thing for me is Penn State's defense can be quite leaky at times. Um, the thing is, if Penn State gets out to an early start, that's when they have a lot of success. But that hasn't happened in the second half as much as they were having that in the first. So I think the Buckeyes take this one in two games over Penn State, just because I think, again, Ohio is just the more balanced team up and uh, up from front to back. Yeah, again, I think this one has three written all over it. Um, I Just because Penn State and Ohio State, they've both been so up and down in the second half of the season. I agree with you. I think the Buckeyes get the job done, but I think this one has a chance for three games. I don't know if all three will be particularly close, but I think one of them at least goes to overtime um, and should provide a lot of intrigue there. And then Michigan State in the number five spot, Notre Dame in the number four spot here. Um, oh, boy. As of recent, I suppose Notre Dame probably has the edge here, although the Spartans, I mean, you can never really count them out. I'm actually going to go the opposite direction here and confuse people even more. Um, I'm going to go Notre Dame in two games. I just think the Fighting Irish coming off of last weekend especially are primed and ready to have a good look. I know I've been high on the Spartans all season, but I think Notre Dame takes it in two. I'm actually with you. I think, you know, with that performance against Michigan, uh, Notre Dame, again, they thrive on good defensive structure. Um, You know, again, um, is that Ryder Rolston that's been out? A lot of their offensive punch went with it, but they've been able to adjust. They've been able to get the job done. They were stingy minded to beat North Dakota and regionals last year. Um, So they have that ability. And I think, you know, again, the only X factor here, Noah, is Michigan State. Um, Now that, you know, they're outside the top 16, do they come in with some desperation? Now, mind you, desperation can work both ways. It can work you to give you that extra bit of boost, you know, because your season's on the line or does it overtake you and does it, you know, make you play out of your structure and and kind of get you running around a little bit. I'm with you. I think Notre Dame takes this series in two just because of the way that they're playing Michigan State. When they've had their struggles, they also don't have the ability to score, but also defense has been an issue with them all most of the season. So I'm with you with uh, the Fighting Irish taking care of business against the Spartans. 
Yeah, we'll have to take a look. Obviously, we'll have the answers next week, of course. So that is really it for what we're looking forward to. I like tournament time because things get very mm-hmm. simple and very easy to follow. Um, when it comes to standings-wise, by the way, like we said, Atlantic Hockey, they're underway. Of course, RIT is going to have their matchup. I believe they have Mercyhurst is who they start That's with. Right. Yeah. Um, although I don't know if the the first two seeds get a bye. I'm going to guess not. Um, the thing that really hurts, by the way, when we go back to Michigan State, the thing that hurts them is what a tough weekend to be off in yeah. the weekend right before that tournament. So, um, yeah, keep an eye on that one. But RIT is the team to beat in Atlantic Hockey this season. AIC, Sacred Heart, and Canisius rounding out the top four right on their heels in that tournament as well. ECAC is also underway. Quinnipiac is the clear front runner in the ECAC, but Harvard still has an at-large bid, so it's really Cornell trying to cement their place. Um, for one, I would say Cornell would like to get out of their first you know, round matchup, obviously, to make sure that they stay in the tournament conversation and St. Lawrence is really the first team on the outside looking in. So a lot to be played for here as of course we take a look, we'll obviously dive into the pairwise. We'll save that for the extra ice session just because of the fact that um, just because of the fact that it ties in um, much, much better to uh, everything that's been going on. Although I suppose we could mention um, we'll wait till we get through the NCHC stuff. So let's flip over to the NCHC right now. Uh, NCHC action here. There was an upset this weekend, and Huskies fans certainly are rejoicing ever so slightly, I would think. But let's start with Denver, Western Michigan here. Denver, a sweep, 5-2 and 3-1. to one. This one needed that one. kind of surprised me a little bit, but as a Huskies fan, like you said, it's exactly what you needed to kind of stay in the hunt at least a little bit here. Um, but I, I figured Western Michigan might at least get a point out of this weekend. Um, they probably could have had there not been a phantom, uh, major penalty on Friday, um, with also the replay system down. And even then, I'm not sure how you make that call. Like they did, um, terrible call against Western Michigan. And I know that there was a lot of talk on social media about it. Um, still don't know how after, even with the discussions, how, that was a major penalty to, I don't, I just, I don't know how I see that. That would be, it's one of those situations where Mike Schmidt, Schmitty would be a great resource in terms of, you know, what was seen on the ice in that scenario. I just don't know how with any of the angles that, you know, they were showing with that, how that constituted a major penalty. Um, yeah. Penalty to begin with. So I don't know. Yeah, no. Hey, but if you're a Huskies fan, you'll take the Western Michigan losses. Of course, that sets up a very interesting last week of the regular season. It does. Uh, North Dakota, Colorado College here, uh, the Fighting Hawks getting two crucial victories and a couple of points here, two to one in overtime the first night, one nothing in a shootout yesterday uh, at Robeson Arena, packed as always, or not as well, I guess as always, I guess since the inception, really. So, um, yeah, that looks really good. Uh, and CC, this Tigers team, don't count them out when we move into the following weekend after this one, for sure. I mean, it's. You can hold North Dakota to three goals on the weekend. That's still impressive. It just thinks that they only got one themselves. That's really the only downfall. Yeah, so uh, a little bit reminiscent of the scoring touch of previous years for the Tigers, but uh, we'll have to see how that carries into their last week of the regular season. Miami traveling up to Duluth a couple of later starts, uh, especially on Saturday. Certainly didn't hurt one team. Um, Friday night it was Duluth 3-2, to two, and Saturday Miami Redhawks 4-1 to one. victory. Against the no. dogs, if you're a Huskies fan, you gotta love that one. Um, and I think it makes you feel a little or bit do better. You? Yeah, I, I believe because of pairwise implications in some senses. I know that Duluth still wins the pairwise battle, but that victory 
means that Miami has beaten St. Cloud, who has been beaten by Duluth. So, I mean, it doesn't hurt you in that regard. Um, yeah. So, or maybe it does. I maybe it does. I mean, Duluth still or just to give Duluth um, again that desperation team coming into the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center last uh, regular season weekend because that, yeah, that's a tough loss for the Bulldogs who were, shall I say, just not a good not a good game for them at all yesterday. Yeah. Well, regardless for Duluth, I mean, even if they win both their games, they're still going to have to win the tournament. I mean, there there's no real scenario in which they're going to. Um, get in otherwise i don't think uh here's the problem we we've seen that before that's the thing yeah <laughs> last year last yeah, year they and, did it so and right now um st cloud would actually have um duluth in the first round same matchup rinse and repeat actually yeah um so we'll have to keep an eye on that uh, before we get to that though st cloud and omaha a pair of six to two scores it was st cloud friday night omaha on saturday night here uh First one, the Huskies victory attendance just over 7,000 down in Omaha. And we can actually say down because it is actually, you know, south of, I feel like as Midwesterners, we like to use that phrase a little bit too willingly. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, Grant Crookshank getting back on the board for the first time in a while. Good to see him on the board of the power play just five and a half minutes into that hockey game. Grant Deshaun, his second of the season. Fiatti Metten and Adam Ingram on the power play. Special teams rolling again. Crookshank, his second on the power play in the third period as well. So uh, St. Cloud, three for five on the man advantage and then perfect five for five on the kill in the first night. So really everything you could have asked for if you were a Huskies fan in the first night. Shots 28-25 in favor of St. Cloud and they were 56% in the faceoff dot at cool 36 for 64. Jackson Caster with a 920 on the night, 23 of 25. Um, and Simon, I always butcher this name. I think it's Lakotsky, but I always butcher it. Um, 15 of 20 for a 750. He was pulled for Jake uh, Hercharski, and he stopped 7 of 8 for an 875. So St. Cloud on the first night, I mean, you look at that score and you thought, hmm, maybe they've finally you know, woken up. Maybe they're you know, kind of back in business a little bit, maybe the team that we had expected them to be. Attendance just under 8,000 in night number two. And I guess the extra 800 people in the building certainly bolstered this Maverick team to a victory. It was, uh, yeah, essentially 5-2 after the second period and then an empty netter um, from Tyler Weiss to cap off this hockey game. Huskies were 50% in the faceoff dot, but outshot by 11, 41 to 30. Jackson Castro still at a 909. I mean, he did everything he could to try to keep this hockey team in the game. starting that game too. Five, yeah. six, seven shots uh, was pulled. Um, yeah. Not sure if it was more on him than it was maybe the team in front of him kind of thing, you know. That's, but uh, yeah. it's certainly not, uh, you know, not great if. Uh, you're needing yeah. to pull the goaltender in that situation. So Yeah, St. Cloud was down, obviously, 2-0 before the nine-minute mark uh, of the first period. And then um, both teams going one for four on the man advantage. So if you're St. Cloud, I mean, you went eight for nine on the kill over the weekend. Not exactly terrible by any means, especially from what we've talked about. And then essentially you ended up you ended up going, what would it have been? It would have been four for nine on the man advantage this weekend. So, and mind you, St. Cloud also finishing the game with five defensemen, both Jack Peard and um, uh, Andre Trayball leaving Saturday's game with injuries. So that uh, that could be yeah. significant news as we head into this weekend, depending on their availability. Um, so, yikes. Uh, Mm -hmm. injury bug continues to strike at the worst times as it always does <laughs> yeah like you mentioned um obviously you kind of wonder what brett larson's plan is too it's not 
you know, if both of those guys aren't, aren't ready, you know, it's you, you or even if they're at about 80%, sometimes you wonder, do you want the rest and really know what's important here? Knowing this team is going to make the tournament. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot more to play for if you're St. Cloud, you know, beyond next weekend. So we'll have to take a look. Mm -hmm. Of course, St. Cloud, um, will of course be hosting, um, Duluth getting getting ready for this matchup. Uh, North Dakota, I believe, will be traveling to Omaha. Is that correct? Or are they hosting Omaha? They are hosting Omaha, and then of course it's the the gold pan to um, home and home home and home with Denver and CC, um, and then it's Western Michigan traveling to Miami for. Um, so we talk about Saint Cloud trying to get help um, to try to maybe get up into because uh, it's only they're only back two points. Right, they're only back two yeah. points. From, they're back. They're back two of Omaha, and they're losing the tiebreaker right now to Western, Western Michigan. Michigan. Yeah. So, uh, if anything, they may get some help uh, from Omaha, may or from North Dakota. Sorry, but uh, that's that's a stretch. Um, let's just say, oh, let's just say Omaha has had. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, they've had some success against North Dakota in North Dakota as a recent. So we'll we'll see. Um, again, uh, all the home ice is locked up. For the yeah. NCHC, um, the top four teams now is just a matter of seeding Denver, um, securing number one spot. That's the only top four place that it won't move, but there still could be some movement here in the bottom, uh, the bottom three of the top four. So we'll see. I mean, St. Cloud just has to take care of business against Minnesota Duluth just to begin with, and then if they can get some help. Um, again, those matchups aren't very favorable to St. Cloud to get some external help, but either way, you'll have home ice. Now the question is, who do you face in the first round? Yeah, really, what you need is Miami to push either Western Michigan to an overtime game uh, in any capacity or win one of those hockey games to give St. Cloud a chance. Cause of course they are mm -hmm. losing that tiebreaker right now, even right. with uh, a sweep, I imagine Western Michigan is going to have a pretty good look. Um, but that's the thing is I think if you're St. Cloud, you almost uh, depending on how things shake out uh, with Denver and Colorado college, I think almost third is almost a better spot for St. Cloud in the sense that they would likely get North Dakota Mm -hmm. um colorado college has kind of provided st cloud with some fits um you know especially in st cloud so i think uh omaha might not be caught if you're st cloud but we'll have to see um what happens with that matchup as well too but yeah everything to play for i mean this weekend yeah. uh, really let's go back though for st cloud uh, and their effort over the past weekend some hopeful signs on friday not so much on saturday uh how do you really qualify this weekend well, I think you there was some for probably some frustration. Um, again, Brett Larson, I think one thing we we forgot to mention too, he's hundredth uh, victory again on Friday. So fastest coach in St. Cloud history to get to one hundred wins. Um, so you kind of wonder if there was some some emotions released there. So to me, I, it's it's an emotional roller coaster for St. Cloud right now, and I don't know when Jack Peard and Andre Trable left Saturday's game, but you kind of wonder if it was early on. Does does that camper maybe or maybe does that shall we say skew maybe Saturday's result a little bit. Um, and if they're not ready to go, does that mean you're going to both be playing Mason Rainers and Cooper Wiley, who's been in and out of the lineup? Um, a couple of other key notables too, to the four group. We haven't seen uh, Ryan Rosborough in the last, last couple of weeks kind of fallen out of favor. And we haven't even seen Joey Molinar too. It's been uh grand It's been uh, who am I missing? Jack Rogers, who's looked pretty good. Um, and we also haven't seen uh, Ethan O'Coin either. So uh, you kind of see some consistency there along the forward group, so, which is a good sign. And we talked about some of those lineup changes and uh, Brett Larson trying to figure things out. But now he's got a bigger mess again. Noel Dylan Anhorn and now potentially 
uh, some folks being on the lineup, including Peart and Trayball. So he's got some work to do uh, to try to figure out that defensive pairing lineup. Oh boy, just yeah. you know, talking about timing too, right? No, not that there's ever great timing, but this is definitely not ideal if you're Brett Larson and the Huskies. Yeah, injury bug has bitten them before. Just go back to last mm-hmm. season in the in the net mining position. Of course, a couple of key losses to Miami and CC this year. Miami at 43, CC at 38 as far as the pairwise is concerned. Minnesota Duluth is at 25, so you can pallet that ever so slightly, I think. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, it's not exactly ideal. I right it's been a weird second half i again i i know that we talked about too you know this st cloud team you know oh they're different than last year that sort of thing um kind of an unfortunate storm of events so to speak i think somewhat self-inflicted and then somewhat injury inflicted too that unfortunately kind of kept the ball rolling downhill a little bit here st cloud has one more week to kind of really tune things up and if you want to be really theoretical um, at least two more weekends to prepare for the NCAA tournament, if hopefully not three, uh, depending on what they yep. bring to the table. Um, still a lot, you know, of time one for guys to get healthy. I mean, that's, you know, three weeks is a long time for guys to, you know, recuperate if they have to recuperate, obviously. Um, but beyond that also a, a small chance to really kind of make some tweaks and make some adjustments here. I think one of the things too, like you mentioned, I mean, the early pull of Bassey on Saturday as well, too. Jackson Castor looked all right this weekend. I thought otherwise. Yeah. Um, goaltending still giving this team a chance uh, for most nights if you're in a St. Cloud uniform. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that I know on Friday night, the Huskies obviously um, had some really good production. Really quiet weekend. In fact, uh, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, Yummy Cranola had one point, as did... Uh, Zach Okabe, I believe he only had one um, throughout the weekend as well, too. So kind of the two top guys, uh, a little bit quiet. A couple points, multi-point weekend for Vieti Mietnin and Grant Crookshank, though. Good to see Crookshank with three goals. Um, In- Ingram, if I point out on Friday, uh, that's the one thing with Ingram, too, a freshman. Um, again, the second-round pick. Um you know, when he's on, he's on. It's just, again, his consistency just hasn't been there. Again, he's a freshman, so can't really put too much on his shoulders right now, but it does show you uh, Okabe and Cranola were, uh, were both a little yeah. bit quiet this weekend. Now, granted, Crookshank kind of, uh, you know, coming out of the closet a bit, but now it's can get everybody to be on the same page together, right? Um, it, it's definitely starting to show that if, uh, if not everybody's having the same weekend that this team is vulnerable, unfortunately, especially in the upfront department. And um, yeah. I think defense now becoming the big question mark as we head down the stretch um, as far as what we might see. So still some question marks, but uh, overall, uh, like you said, uh, and as we mentioned last week too, time is running short. They they don't have a lot of time to figure this out. So um, hopefully they can do, of course, we know coaching staff is doing whatever they can and uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, all goals coming on the power play for uh, Grant Kirkshank this weekend as well, too. I mean, a split against a pretty good Omaha team this year, not terrible. I think it's just more the fashion. You know, I think, yeah. you know, you're riding high on Friday with the score that you have, and then to give up, you know, the 6-2 to two score on the other side on Saturday, I think just kind of bites heading back into the last week. But, I mean, last weekend of the regular season, it is at home at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center in the first round the following weekend for sure. We'll be at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. So pack that building. You know, obviously, crowd noise, fan engagement can make a difference in hockey games like that. That that home ice advantage is obviously going to be very pivotal. 
lack of home ice advantage. The WCHA playoffs started last week. The women, of course, traveling, of course, up to Duluth. Uh, before we get to that, it was Ohio State and Wisconsin finishing out the regular season last Sunday. Ohio State a 3-1 to one victory uh, to flip-flop some positions there. So it was Bemidji facing Ohio State in the first round of the playoffs. Every round of the WCHA first round on the women's side was decided in two games this weekend, 4-1 mm-hmm. and 2-1 to one were the victories for the Buckeyes who advance. Minnesota advancing against St. Thomas 7-0 and 6-2. That, those two were not particularly close. Mankato traveling to Wisconsin. It was 3-0 and 4-1. Mankato losing both of those hockey games to the Badgers. And St. Cloud, a 1-0 Friday nail-biter loss. And then, uh, and then 5-1, of course, yesterday. Um, attendance was just under 800 on Friday up in Duluth. Maggie Flaherty, her ninth of the season, actually a power play goal and assist from the netminder, Emma Soderberg, uh, in the middle of period, no, actually the late oh, stages of period late number three. Goal. Yikes. Yeah. The tough one. That was it um, yeah. in that hockey game. Face-off percentage, a uh, paltry 19 for 45, just over 42% shots, 33-23 in favor of the Bulldogs. I mean, JoJo Choback had a 970, 32 of 33. I mean, what more can you ask from your goaltender there? Emma Soderberg, one better, 23 of 23 for a perfect 1.0. Um, yeah, St. Cloud 0 for 3 on the power play. And, of course, Duluth, their lone goal, 1 for 2 on the power play as well. Yeah, that one stung. I mean, you got to score to win a hockey game. I mean, quite obviously. But, um, yeah, I mean, this Huskies team – especially from what we first saw when they first matched up against Duluth, their adjustments in the second half of the season gave them a chance on Friday night. And I think that's what you're, you're looking for is, you know, they at least had a look in that first first night to, to take that hockey game. Unfortunate balance with about three and a half minutes left there. Um, not exactly ideal. And then the second night, uh, the Huskies were somewhat out of it by the time the third period rolled around 48-24 were the shots against for the Bulldogs, 44% in the draw for the Huskies. Um, and then you look at Sonia Hola, who stopped 24 of 26 for a 923, and Jojo Choback stopping 19 of 21 for a 905. Emma Soderberg had a 958, stopping all but one of the 24 shots that she faced. And what does that mean? Duluth, as the four seed, will face Ohio State in the one spot. Wisconsin in the three spot will face Minnesota in the two spot down in Minneapolis uh, to kind of close out the WCHA playoffs and, of course, the championship game to follow those two matchups. So as far as I look, the women's team dropped down to 13 in the pairwise on the women's side. So I believe that means they are done for the year unless I'm missing something. So, well, let's talk about this women's team here, Nick. Um, Mm -hmm. They essentially, with their two victories, tied or either surpassed one of the best seasons in franchise history. I mean, a lot of really great things to come out of this women's program and this team this season. Unfortunate result, I think, especially that Friday night loss up in Duluth. I think, you know, you felt like you could have at least pushed it to three games if you were going to lose this series. That was one that you would like to have back, I think. But, I mean, what is it about this team relative to the teams of years past that you saw that, you know, was this team truly different from years past or are we hyping, are we hyping them up too much? I mean, what did you see? No, not at all. Uh, this team needed a, a push. I needed a kick 
And that's where Brian Idolsky and his staff uh, with Mir uh, is at Joe Luso. Um, I have it written down somewhere, um, but it's <laughs> it's a very it's a very unique pronunciation. So I apologize to Mira if I butcher that. Um, and as well, of course, Janelle Sergey. Um, I, I think what has to be mentioned is this coaching staff came in, and you know, from folks that I've talked to, and that is, you know, they asked the players, "Hey, you know, we know where we're at." How, how we want to change this. And essentially the coach staff pointed the fingers back at the players. He goes, it's on you and we're going to hold you accountable. And it was a shock to the system. Um, but look at the results, right? Um, I, I'm curious as to what happened to Bailey Burden. I didn't see her local, uh, on the roster. She was a first half player. She was a transfer in from, I believe, uh, New Hampshire and didn't see her on the roster for the second half. I was trying to find something on that. I've been trying to figure it out, but either way, um, what a season. Honestly, um, this team looked better. It looked structurally better. There was more options. They looked like they were playing with more confidence. They were pushing back offensively. They just lacked the finish, right? Defensively, one of the better PKs in the WCHA. Um, their power play was executing. They're moving the puck very well. It is a vast improvement. And, and Noah, for, from covering a couple of games with them, again, on Hockey Day, um, this team is night and day from just a year ago. Now, the problem is, is that is there going to be night and day again next year because there's going to be a lot of talent that they could be losing. Um, we'll start with uh, Himmelorova as well as Unita Newland. Um, so there's going to be some of the folks that carry their offense not be a part of the squad. So where does Brian Idolsky and the coaching staff have so as far as recruits coming in? Um, so that might hurt a little bit next year, but... We don't know. And again, they also have uh, four Laura Zimmerman, who they redshirted again, part of Team Switzerland. Um, that was a decision from the coaching staff. They wanted four years of Laura Zimmerman and figured that, you know what, with a transitional year um, that they wanted to kind of get through this. So that, that'll be an instant addition to the offense. Um, again, they're enamored with Taylor Lind. Um, they're enamored with Emma Gentry. So it's tough, but those are decisions and things you can't control. But this year, I mean, hats off. To the coaching staff, hats off to the girls on a successful campaign. Um, again, this is sort of the season we were hoping to see. We saw the talent that was available, just needed to have it unlocked and just playing a little bit better. And uh, they did that. I don't know what more you can ask out of the squad. And so you you have to put your hats off. I know that the end kind of stings a little bit. And as you mentioned, maybe uh, not quite uh, in the NCAA tournament field, but I think that would have been a bit of a stretch for an expectation, but I think with the overall the record, the way they played, hell of a season. And congratulations to the women's team, everybody involved. I think it was a hell of a turnaround. Yeah, it was a great turnaround. Like you mentioned, McKenna Westlow, Ian Newland, and Tatum Geyer, uh, two captains, Geyer and Newland. And of course, McKenna Westlow, no stranger to being a vocal leader as well, too. No. Um, two fifth years and a graduate student. They are officially done um, as far as their eligibility. I believe Ali Cornelius is a redshirt senior, and then Olivia Savar, Courtney Hall, Taylor Lynn, Clara Himmlerova, and Addie Scribner. I believe there could be a COVID option. Yeah, could I be. believe. Yeah. Um, so it would not shock me, uh, of course, Clara Himmlerova, even Taylor Lind. I, I Potential professional hockey for a couple of these players for sure in their future. I mean, mm -hmm. some really good talent to come out of this program, obviously. And then you look to that junior group which is uh, very hefty, including both goaltenders as well. Yep. Um, moving into their senior season next season, obviously the goaltending position, no worse for wear, at least moving into next year. Uh, certainly um, a good tandem in net there. But 
like you mentioned, this women's team, I'm very curious to see now in his second season, Brian Idolsky. I'm curious to see what the plan is moving forward, the incoming recruitment class. Obviously, Janelle Sergey has had a really big hand in those recruiting classes. Like mm-hmm. I said, you go into her office and that recruiting board, you you look years, you know, it's years out in terms of some of the players that they kind of just have an eye on. So you wonder how that recruiting class is going to mix with Brian Idolsky's, you know, hockey ideology that we talked about that was so successful and so potent over this year. Now, how do they really make it their own and, you know, kind of put that fusion together and make their stamp on what they believe they want this program to be? Because the stepping stone this year, it was not a little baby step. It was not one step on the staircase. I mean, they no. were they were vaulting all the way to the top of that staircase and they're ready for the next one here with the strides they took this season. And, you know, you look at the victories they had beating Wisconsin, beating Minnesota this season, um, you know, pushing Ohio state. I, I don't remember the last time Ohio state has, you know, really been pushed by a Huskies team readily throughout right. a couple of games this season. Um, and I kind of wish it kind of stinks that the first WCHA matchup of the year was against Ohio state when you don't really know what you have quite yet. I would have liked to have seen, you know, maybe both those matchups in the second half of the season just to see what, you know, that refined Huskies team could have done uh, in four games uh, against that Buckeyes team. But yeah, a mighty impressive season. I think that, you know, one of the things that they're still pushing towards is, you know, suppressing shot volume ever so slightly. But, you know, their structure has played well into allowing their goaltenders to make the saves they need to make. And then their goaltenders have made the saves maybe not expected at times. And their defensive structure has also turned into that transitional offensive game on the other side. So those two things really stand out to me is that they're protecting the middle a lot better in the defensive side. And then Mm -hmm. they're actually able to counter that with good offensive pushback because they're not hemmed in their own zone for long stretches. This is a building block that is going to pay dividends and be felt next year and the year after because of the change in systems that we saw over the course of the season and their record reflected it, ref- reflected it. I mean, it was impressive, yeah. mighty impressive to see, you know, the results, not only on the ice, but also the result when you look at the WCHA standings. We talked about sixth place being a fairly respectable season for this group. They were fifth. Yep. And, and until maybe the last month of the season, they had a chance to finish in a home spot in the WCHA. I mean, they finished their WCHA record, for those who are curious, 11, 16, and 1. Um, two overtime losses in that grouping as well. Uh, 57 goals for 82 goals against in WCHA play. Overall, they were basically 500, 18, 18, and one. I mean, 18 victories on the season, 87 goals for 96 goals against. Nick, remember when we were covering this hockey team, really the first two years that, you know, the year that I was there and then the year of the COVID year, they had what? six maybe seven combined wins over those two seasons maybe it was a little bit more than that i mean they had 18 wins yeah this season i mean it yeah just incredibly impressive and i think it's it, it the thing that stands out is how excited we are for next year is that we're whatever we are five six months away from you know, training camp and getting ready for next season. I'm already excited about this women's team because what they're going to bring to the table, because you know, it's going to be good, you know, regardless of who they bring back, you know, it's going to be good because these players continue to refine themselves and continue to get better and better. And we look at some of these players, I think of players too, 
you know, like your Allie Cornelius is your Courtney Halls, who maybe when they came in their freshman year, their sophomore year, whatever it was, they maybe hadn't quite, you know, grown into that role that they wanted to be in when they were juniors and seniors. And now you've seen them kind of blossom into those players and really flourish under the new system uh, that the head coach and assistant coach or associate coaches have put together for them. That's what I'm most excited about is seeing this next wave now continue to take that jump from their freshman year to their sophomore year, from sophomore to their upperclassmen years as well too. So um, it's going to be really exciting. Is there anything else you wanted to add about this team? Yeah, I, I think the, the curious thing here is what happens in the transfer portal. And I yeah. say that, you know, not just because I want to see it, but you're you're kind of curious to see who who maybe elects to enter the transfer portal, if there is a few. Um, I would hope that uh, Idolski again will utilize the transfer portal to bring some talent in. He did that actually with great success. Like Jojo Choback was part of that transfer portal. Just to name a few, Bailey Burden, Avery Myers, uh, just to name a couple of folks that he brought in. Um, so I, I think it goes without saying when you have a shock to the system, now granted it was successful, right? You kind of wonder if there were some folks uh, that which kind of fell out of favor um, towards the end of the season. They enter the transfer portal and see, uh, you know, maybe looking for greener pastures per se. So uh, that'll be something to keep an eye on. Um, I, I know that St. Cloud, although, you know, this is a much better bargaining chip now for the recruitment process. Although the, the only catch it is it's one season, right? And so you kind of hope that, you know, you can continue to ride that momentum. It's always, you know, almost that second year of a new regime, which is more important than your first, because you almost kind of expect some kind of improvement. And then the question everybody else is, can you sustain it? Right. Um, I do think that they can sustain it. And again, uh, when you have the most competitive and certainly the most talent in the WCHA, you have to sustain it to stay competitive. So this will be quite an interesting offseason to keep an eye on. Um, I have confidence in this group. Um, I have confidence in Idolski grabbing uh, the right players. Um, and more importantly, again, we know that the systems are there and, and the execution is getting better. So um, we'll have to keep an eye on that. But if there's anything else, again, I'm with you. The excitement for next year um, has been probably at its highest in quite some time uh, with this with the staff and this player group. So, again, Congrats to everybody for this year. It was a hell of a turnaround. Uh, you don't see that very often. Um, and the, the way that they were able to do it, granted, ending on a sour note, um, as it seems right now, again, not official. No, it does seem like they're sort of out of the picture. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see, you know, but hell of a season. Yeah, top 13 team in the country, according to the pairwise. I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you'll take that kind of effort any year, you know, as a starting point as well, too. So a great building block. And a great example for this women's program as they continue to try to build that legacy um, in the WCHA, which is hands down, I mean, the toughest conference, obviously, in women's college hockey. So moving over to the Minnesota Wild here, our last topic in the main portion of the show, uh, the Minnesota Wild, 32-21-6. They've got 70 points on the season. They're currently third in the Central, although Colorado is one point behind and they've got three, three games, games in hand. hand. So. Mm -hmm. Um, keep an eye on that one, obviously, but a great week for Minnesota, all things considered all but one point, uh, that they missed this past week, Nashville, four to three victory on Tuesday, or excuse me, on Sunday, LA Kings, two to one victory on Tuesday, Columbus, two to nothing victory on Thursday and a two to one overtime loss on Friday. So what's oh, on? Hang on? This is incorrect. No, because Colorado did win. Uh, I'm showing that they're in second. And uh, while they're now tied with the second wild card with 70 points. Yeah, maybe it didn't. 
maybe it didn't update. Did update. Yeah, um, they but, were playing. They were playing late last night, so that yeah, might be were. why. Um, and the Avalanche have won five straight, so holy cow, they're on a they're on a roll. So tonight's game against the Blue Jackets, uh, pretty important for this Wild squad. They can get to seventy two, which would vault them back into second spot. Although, as you mentioned, now that what uh, Carl now technically right now sitting. At a two game in hand advantage, it would be, I think, three. I'm not sure if Colorado does play tonight. Um, yeah, it should be two now because they, like I said, they were. Now. I did the notes at about 10 o'clock after the Toro game. So the um, the Colorado game was just starting, I believe, um, when that was going on. So yeah, but they have uh, the Wild have Columbus on today on Sunday. They yep. have the New York Islanders at home on Tuesday, and then they head on the road, another Western road swing up in Canada, Vancouver on Thursday, Calgary on Saturday. And then I believe they'll have Calgary again, the following like Tuesday back at home. So, That's right. yeah. um, so they'll flip back around here. They're five, three and two in their last 10 are the Minnesota wild. So, but the bigger question here for this team who has been rolling, Ryan Hartman has started to heat up a little bit again after kind of a weird season that he's had. The bigger piece is that Bill Guerin has said that he anticipates the wild to be very active ahead of the trade deadline. What does that mean? Ooh, you know, <laughs> define active, right? Um, no active can mean in conversation. It doesn't mean active in terms of making moves, right? Um, the wild in a precarious position, as you know, I know there's been rumors of rock Besser. Um, now I think those are overhyped by quite a bit. Uh, number one is that you've got decisions to make. Uh, Brock Besser has got uh, term left on his deal. Again, Minnesota Wilds start the worst of the cap hell for Parisian Suter with, again, 14.7, I think, million in dead cap for the next two seasons starting uh, this upcoming year in 23-24. And you've got um, restricted free agents that you got to re-sign or think about. Um, one of them is Philip Gustafson. Let's repeat ourselves. We told you so. Wild mm -hmm. fans, we told you so. Uh, he's been actually not one of the better goaltenders for the Wild. He's actually been one of the better goaltenders around the NHL. Um, he's been that good. And he's an RFA with arbitration rights. So it's one of those deals where I think he's kind of put himself in a priority situation. So that does hamper the Wild and what they can do. Um, now, does that mean Matt Dumba could be on his way out now? I don't know. I think he needed him now with Jonas Brodin out, uh, potentially with a lower body injury. Um, the other big question is, what about Kalen Addison? He's he's, he's, he's kind of fallen out of favor, um, right? Because of uh, there's no question he provides an offensive spark, but his defense has been, shall we say, less than stellar um, in his own end. He's a, what, a dash 18 on the season, which again is the most useless stat in the world, but it's a very surface indication of how things are going uh, yeah. in your own end, right, Noah? So it's interesting. Uh, is, I know Jordan Greenway is being shopped. We know that. But the question is, for a guy that's 6X, he plays like he's 5'6 sometimes. Um, when I watch him play, uh, when he plays like he's 6'6, he's a very big force. But I, I just feel like sometimes he just he doesn't play with the you know the frame that he has. It's just a very interesting dynamic with him. You talked about Ryan Hartman. I think getting back with uh, Zuccarello and Kaprizov has really helped him resurge in his offense. They need that. Uh, Matt Boldy, again, continues to um, give himself opportunities. He just can't get the finish. Um, I would love to see him add a forward if they can. But again, cap constraints are going to make it a problem. I don't see Besser coming to the Minnesota Wild. Again, that conversation is really being sort of put forward by his agent, Ben Hankinson. Again, his local here, um, also a big uh organizer to the to the, the beauty league essentially it's mostly all of his clients that come and put that showcase on so a little bit of context for those conversations for those who are listening to them that's all kind of been driven by the agent now again 
if Garen had the space, I think it would happen. Um, but they just don't. They just don't. Unless there's cap moving, uh, I just don't see it happening. And the while they're not in a position to retain salary past this year, I know people are going to ask, well, make their retaining salary. Those are done after this year. Those are a very short-term type thing. So it's going to be tough. I know they say active, but active could just mean a lot of conversation. I don't think there's going to be a lot of more moving parts. Um, and if it is, let's just put it this way, there'll be a lot of changes if it happens. Yeah. Or really quiet or really active. Yeah. Or they're going to have to move some key pieces, like you said, to keep them after this year, or they're going to be rentals that have, you know, cap that is mostly completed throughout their contract. And they're going to be, you know, rentals for a playoff push as well, too. So we'll have to see. I mean, yeah, I'm not really sure what the answer is. Obviously, we're going to have a lot more clarity after this week as to what this Minnesota Wild final plan, so to speak, the, the Minnesota Wild Death Star is going to look like, right? So, mm-hmm. um, but one thing is for sure, like you mentioned, uh, yeah, Gustafson. Here, here's the thing. I uh, maybe this is a a better question that is way too early because Gustafson makes me think about this, and I'm going to pull up cat friendly because Lord knows that I'll definitely say something wrong. Um, if you're the Minnesota Wild and you've got these pending UFAs and RFAs and you're Bill Guerin thinking about that at the trade deadline, mm-hmm. who is priority for you to resign and who are you trying to, you know, not advocate as a trade piece because you feel that they're that valuable to this group? Number one, Philip Gustafson. There's no question about it um, with all the UFAs and RFAs uh, right now because you have Fleury again signed for one more year. And I think, again, they've they talked about wanting Jesper Wallstad, um, their prize goaltender, to get seasoned in the AHL. Um, they don't want to rush his development. I think that's super important. So Gustafson, um, I'm not sure if they were expecting this type of performance from him, right? I think they really thought Mark andre Fleury would take sort of you know the mantle and that hasn't been the case um it's been the opposite yeah. but what it does is if you can get Gustafson on a, a decent bridge contract right that puts you in a really really good spot uh to try to sure up the goaltending position at least for next year and allow Wallstead to do what he's doing down the American Hockey League I think that's priority yeah. uh, then you also have and this is the and I'm gonna go to a UFA Freddie Goudreau yeah. That's, he's so valuable at both ends of the ice. Um, he's money in the shootout. Um, he's getting paid $1.2 million um, right now. He's a he's an unrestricted free agent. You've got to figure out a way to get him back to me. Those are the two priority pieces just because of what Goudreau can do um, defensively. He's just such a smart player. Um, I really like him. Uh, I, I don't see reason. Kalen Addison's got to be. Uh, I, I'm split on Kalen Addison. Um I, I am. I'm split. Not just not uh, from my perspective. Okay, let me let me make this yeah. clear. I, I'm splitting Kalen Addison because what I see is not the same that the team is seeing, right? We all see the potential. We all see that he's young. And I'm curious as to what their plan is, right? Uh because again, there is the offensive ability there. Not great defensively right now. But again, he's what, 21 years old? Uh maybe 22. 22. 22. So he's young. Yeah. Um, so, and does he get a spark say when Brock Faber comes back, right. Or it gets into the lineup. If he does elect to sign his pro deal after the goal for season, is yeah. done, who's, you know. who's, who's your power play quarterback without him? Like, I mean, he's been That's the thing. lights out on special That's teams. The thing. Uh, but you can also be just a specialty player. That's the problem. Um, in today's NHL, that's not going to keep you a roster spot. I think that's been part of the message that's been sent to Kalen Addison is, uh, you know, Yes, we love you in the power play. In fact, power play has saved the Wilds 
pardon my French, their ass a lot of the times in these close games because they don't have uh, the scoring ability five on five this year. They just don't. So it's a tough sell. Um, I just, I don't know. You kind of wonder if maybe does he need a different type of defensive partner? Is it, is it the partner that's been holding him up? I don't know. Um, You know, John Merrill hasn't been great either, although he's been serviceable. Um, so this is, a, it's an interesting deadline. We'll put it to you that way. Um, yeah. Ryan Reese, I don't see him back. Uh, Sam Steele, I could see him being dealt just because he's yeah, kind of been, uh, fallen out of favor. And, and again, eight, eight, eight and a quarter, uh, 800,000, 825, Jesus Christ. Uh, let me say that three times fast. Um, it's, it's cap that people can uh, easily attain. Um, and I think that he is still young enough at 25, or I think a team could find value in him. Brandon Duhame has looked really, really good yes. getting some elevated line time. So I think he's another guy that you have to look for a bridge deal here too. And Mason Shaw um, has been also very solid in his yep. role. Penalty killing role has been really, really good. So again, when you talk about, I want Brock Besser. It, it's a lot more tough than that because you got guys that are on this roster right now that you like that are key in certain roles and they do a lot of things for you that are going to have to get re-signed and it's going to be tough for Bill Guerin to add and uh, have term beyond this year. And again, do you really do you really want the Wild right now, Noah, to go onto a rental push when they are the second wild card team and with their yeah. five, five scoring woes? It's it, to me, it's not the time to do that kind of move. It just isn't. Um, so I, I think as much as he says he's going to be active to me, that's a face. I, I, I think you and I both know he knows he's in a much more difficult position than he really wants to. And more importantly, um, you know, if he needs to go after a big fish in the off season, like a centerman to try to pair with Matt Boldy, I think that takes more priority than a trade deadline move. I really do think you almost have to ride this out a little bit and kind of go from there. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I was just wondering if you wanted to talk about the last UFA again for the 27,000th time. Go for it. No, I don't. Matt Dumba is who we're talking about. I we, Again, I don't think he moves. I don't. I don't think. No, I don't. I don't either. Um, I think you need him right now. That's the thing is yeah. I know that they've called. Um, and again, I, there's calls on Jordan Greenway too. But again, I just, you, yeah. you almost, I could see Greenway being moved just because of, he just hasn't really been the player that we need him to be. And for Dumba without Jonas Brodin, he's again, he's serviceable. Is he worth a six million? No, we've had that conversation for many, many years, right? When he signed it, he was blossoming into the defense when we thought he would be. And then again, of course, post the Matthew Kachuk fight, he's just not been the same. But I do think you just write him out and then see if there is something available for a trade yeah. afterwards. And I think a lot of NHL GMs are going to wait till then, too, because, again, what's the number one thing that every GM wants to know is what's going to be the cap availability for next year that doesn't get released until the offseason. So right. Um, and right now that's in jeopardy again with the yeah. with the Valley sports and uh you know the the issues that are surrounding there um I, I do think that plays no part in the NHL uh and you know if the even cap moves at all because again that's a lot of where the revenue comes from is the broadcast rights so it's tough man it's tough yeah i you know i wonder a lot of people like i've seen people online where they're like matt dumba is the worst wild defenseman in history he's not like he's played like 600 games in a wild sweater like He's a very serviceable defenseman. Like I said, is he worth what he's being paid? Probably not. But, no. you know, he's 
still a, a key piece of this lineup, like you mentioned, as of right now. First you know, so they would take Dmitry Kulikov over Matt Dumba. Yeah. Um. Oh, no. Bren, no. Brendan Manel. Um. That you too. know <laughs> the um. <laughs> The one person that I'm actually curious about, maybe not so much at this trade deadline, but comparative to see what he does next year, that might actually maybe be more of a conversation than maybe we want to think about Mm. Marcus Foligno. Yeah. His, I mean, he's had kind of the injury bug. He's getting older. His year has not, you know, been the most thrilling. Um, and he's what three and a half million per year or something like that. He, you know, uh... here's the thing with with Marcus Foligno. You know, and we can say a lot about some of this from last year too. Is that how many players last year had careers? It was sort of like this special season, yeah. right? And to expect that to be repeated, I think was a bit, uh, shall we say, uh, you know, a bit incorrect. Overreaching, yeah. yeah, overreaching. But what Marcus Foligno does. He's a guy that he plays physical. He's a guy that goes into the four check and he's actually a very smart hockey player. I think he is worth a three and a half. And if you can find a way, that's the thing is he's going to be a free agent on the second year of the larger cap hits, depending on what happens now. You're, and this is the and this is the formula that a lot of the armchair GMs that are out there in social media forget is your moves right now could affect your ability to retain players like a Freddie Goudreau, like a Marcus Foligno, right? That's what, because you're not just playing for right now. It's you have to think about what is my cap constraints two, three, maybe four years down the road. Now, granted, in three years, we're going to be out of cap hell. For the most part, it's going to be, what, 833000 I think, uh, for three years after that, which is minuscule. Um, But the thing is, too, is that, you know, you're you're trying to make a push. You're you're trying to, you know, do that. And again, what about Marco Rossi? What about Sammy Walker? What about some of these guys that are in the minors uh, that you've been sort of hoping would blossom into the NHL players that you expect them to be? I yeah. think we can put Brock, uh, Brock Faber to that conversation. Um, so there's some good news there is that you do have some young talent that could be on cheaper contracts that you may need to rely on that could bring that immediate value. But I don't know. Again, a tough puzzle it's it's not as linear as people think it is it's a lot of other steps and a lot of ripple effects to every move that you do so well sounds like the ncaa men's hockey tournament selection committee um a lot of (laughs) ripple effects a lot of things that we've got to figure out we're going to head on over to our extra ice session and talk about exactly that And welcome into the Extra Ice Session here on the Huskies Warming House Podcast, episode 151. Nick Maxson, Noah Grant here to bring it all to you here, of course. The NCAA Tournament for Men's Hockey, a mere month away, I would say. Uh, And uh, as we look, Fargo, Bridgeport, Allentown, Manchester, we've got three out of the four regionals not in the western side of the country. Um, Shock. so it always is. Yeah. And the one that's in the Western side of the country is in America's wasteland. Um, okay. Uh, I'm well, at least as long as they're, (laughs) as long as they're the ice chillers are actually working better this time. The ice is way better. I, (laughs) but my buddy is the, the head ice guy at shields. He got there two years after, um, that regional that St. Cloud was at, and they've made some serious 
revamps to that ice sheet. So I would imagine the ice service is not going to be, uh, maybe they were partnering with St. Cloud. Maybe they also put a bit out there um, on construction journal. Um, <laughs> but Jeez. Oh boy. Uh, but with that being said, before we do our little selection committee, that's going to be way off base and totally incorrect because we're going to have crazy conference tournaments. And then the selection committee is going to be wild. Um, why are there three tournaments out East? Can we, it should it be okay. Should it be mandatory? That there's two on each side of the country? No. Okay. No. Because if you actually do the geographics, the percentage of teams out east far outweighs the west, even though the teams out west seem to be the ones that are always in the tournament. So yeah. uh, it's just it just happens to be that way. Now, that might change if you get San Diego State, UCLA, UCLA Oregon, UNLV, Oregon yeah. all those guys, and they form their own conference, which I think they're looking to do that. Yeah. Um, so is we, it, is it a better question to say, should there be one out West ish? So I guess North Dakota onward, or maybe Minnesota onward, I guess. Yep. And should there be one kind of in the middle of the country, like Ohio, Michigan, somewhere in that, like, you know what I mean? Not. Yeah. But here's the other problem too. And, and again, we talk about broadcasting. Yeah. Where's the SPNU based? Yeah. There you go. They're within a very short drive of those three uh, spots. And that's the other thing, too, is, you know, it college hockey to me, and we and this is a separate conversation, too, we can spend an hour on with is the NCAA tournament is flawed. It's completely flawed in, in a sense of just when you turn on the NCAA, the March Madness, the basketball, right? Every single arena is filled to the brim. Now, granted, there's a lot more teams involved to me. And I think we're at that conversation where the NCAA tournament is going to be in need of expansion um, past 16 teams to me, at least to 24. Uh, but again, separate conversation. But yeah. as of right now, they don't fill the buildings. And this yeah. is where the NCAA tournament makes their money. It's the same thing in the NCAA. It's a gate-driven revenue type stream. And they need to, they really need to figure that out first. Um, but beyond that, this is where we're at with college hockey is yeah. you're going to have three um, hosts out East. They're going to be played in front of probably a thousand people. And that's about it, which is terrible. Um, and they're just, there's just not a lot of thought into the setup, but beyond that, yeah. here we are. Yeah. And I'm trying to think, was it two years ago um, or whatever it was when the Huskies were in Allentown, that rink was like weird caroms, weird Last bounces. Year. Where were they? Where were they the year that they went to the tournament? They were in. Oh boy, was it Bridgeport? Mm, I thought they were in Allentown two years ago. Maybe they no, were in Bridgeport. It wasn't, it wasn't in Allentown. Anyway, or maybe we could. Well, I we will, could I'm going to figure that out because I have this pulled up here. So let me just do some quick. Um, I was going to say that rink had some weird caroms and weird bounces, and of course the the goalpost thing with the Spencer Knight isms and. Yep. Yeah. Um, yep. Just give me a quick second here because I do. I will be on this here very, very shortly. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, obviously, the Huskies got the job done, but just like weird caroms off the kick plate, too. And it was just like, you know, some of the things that you think about, too, where it's like these buildings have to be, you know, feel like. And of course, the Huskies with the weird bounce that they had in that game where the puck ended up in the you know way in the air and then the nice little flip that Micah Miller um put home from Nolan Walker as well too in that regional. So did you figure it out? I am coming into it right now. Okay. So the Huskies came out of, Oh, what the hell? Wow. That sounds like a, quite a place to play hockey. sounds a little bit warm, but so I I found the, I found the bracket 
but they don't tell me where. Wik- Wikipedia should have it. Um, oh, here we go. Oh, I got it. They were in Albany. Albany. That's what it was. Yep. Yeah. Albany. Yep. Albany, Allentown, Audi, same same thing. Um, so the, but, it was Bridgeport, Loveland, Albany, and Fargo were the regional that's right. Yeah, yeah, Loveland. So, like, I like that because it's like you – Loveland, you know, has been – yeah. And you know? let's let's do this. So because I actually had this up here too. So how about how about this? Uh future sites, right? I think this is the this is the big thing uh going into uh into these types of tournaments is those just as much as the championship, the frozen four sites are, you know, made it advanced. Um the regionals are also that gets kind of interesting because with Fargo's shall we say lack of a good ice sheet, that kind of hurt them. Yeah. So uh and here's why. So for the 2024, it's uh, is it Mar- is it Maryland Heights, Missouri? Yep. Yep. Rhode Island. Uh, so the Sanford Center Sioux Falls. So getting a regional in their first year Ooh, with Augustana. Nice. Yeah. And then Springfield, Massachusetts. So two out west, two out yeah, east. Yeah, I like that. With the Frozen yeah. Four here in St. Paul at the XL Energy Center, 2025, Allentown, Fargo, Manchester, and Toledo. Yeah, see, there you have one in the middle of the country. Yeah. Right. And then Frozen Four at St. Louis. So this is where it gets fun. 2026, Albany, Loveland, Sanford, and Worcester, Massachusetts, with the Frozen Four at and definitely going to this one, T Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. That there, and, and here's why I'm so excited for this. There is been to a couple of Golden Knights games. They're just the way that they put on the games there. I cannot wait to see what they do to beef up the NCAA tournament. This may be one of the better attended NCAA tournaments in recent history, if not in a while. Um, you know, and I mean, not and not even just because of the teams. People in Vegas might just go to watch hockey. Like Vegas has <laughs> an underrated fan base. Um, talking with a lot of the folks there over the last couple of Aprils, going to the broadcast uh, conventions there and going to a couple of Golden Knights games at the same time. Um, they love that team. It's their own team. In fact, a lot of them resent the Raiders because they're like, we're just sloppy seconds. No, yeah. uh, they are invested in that team. There's a lot of, there's a great season ticket holder base. Um, again, they, it, the organization has really invested money in that community. There's more ranks being built. There's a great partnership with UNLV, which is why there's a lot of talk about them turning division one from their club team. So it's, it's a growing sport in a spot that, has historically had some hockey history there again before the Golden Knights, but it's yeah. really taken off. Um, and it's fantastic, honestly. They love that team down there, and I cannot wait for them to put on in a Vegas way the show there. Um, for the NCAA Frozen Four, it's going to be fantastic. You could say a good one is in the cards. Um, ha, wow. Anyway, well, uh, speaking of our cards, not your we- best work. <laughs> yeah. Well, this might not be either. This is what we have written down for some of our, and yes, I have it on paper. This is how old school we've got whiteboard. Here. So yeah, we are on a buzzing. hockey whiteboard. How about that? A coach's <laughs> board. So. We, we are buzzing. We might need it after this one. All right. So we're going to start uh, the way that we're going to do this. We're going to pick our one seeds first and the regional yep. that they're going to be associated with. And then we'll kind of go from there. Cause um, yeah, we'll see what we can do here. So number one, um, the number one, number one seed, I am going with the Minnesota Golden Gophers. I'm going to assume you concur. Yep. Um, I'm putting them in Fargo. Same. Okay. Um, number two, 
seed overall, which is the second number one seed in the country. I'm still sticking with Quinnipiac. I'm going to say yep. they're in Bridgeport. They're going to be yeah. in Connecticut. Um, number three seed is going to be the Denver Pioneers. I don't see them moving with the results this weekend um, and the NCAHC tournament. I think they end up in Allentown is where I have them. I have uh, Michigan at number three overall there in Allentown as they were last year as the number one seed. And then, so then I have, before you get to your four, because obviously they're flip me, Denver, they're going to Manchester. Yeah, I have Michigan and Manchester. So, um, yeah, beyond this, do we want to do the two seeds or do we want to do just the regionals and go through the regionals? Let's just go through the regionals. I think okay. that'd be just a better visual for folks we're listening to. Yeah, I agree. Um, as much as I wanted to put Alaska here, I do have the Atlantic Hockey Auto Bed in Fargo. Um, and I think it's going to be RIT. Um, I think that they're going to win their tournament. I think that, I think they're just too good. Minnesota gets RIT. And the winner of that game will have the winner between St. Cloud at two and Michigan Tech at three. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I have uh, also RIT in as the auto bit at 16 against the Gophers. And then it's St. Cloud at two against Alaska at number three. Ah, yes, yeah. you, I did that. Yeah. So I was really tempted to go there. Um I've moved Alaska to a four seed because I wonder how some of these things are going to shake up specifically Notre Dame, uh, for example, mm -hmm. looking at what they're going to be doing in terms of their conference matchup as well, too, if they can get a favorable balance. I think Alaska is just going to sneak into the tournament. I agree with you, but I think they're going to be around 13 or 14 is where they're going to be at. I think they're going to slip to a four seed is where I think they're going to end okay. up. So I th that's the only reason. Otherwise, I would have loved to see them in the Fargo Regional. I think that would be awesome um, to have that type of matchup. But the Nanooks, like we mentioned, they've only made the tournament one time back in 2009-10, and they lost in the first matchup against BC. So would love to see them back in the tournament as an independent. That would be awesome. I don't awesome. think Alaska slips as much because, again, St. Cloud, um, just because of – their second half and granted they haven't lost, but they haven't really moved much. Um, Alaska's got Lindenwood this weekend. Yeah. Norder, um, Norder Dame is 14 right now and Norder yeah. Dame right now. And let me pull it up. So I don't say this wrong. Cause Lord knows I will. Um, Norder Dame of course is the four C they've got Michigan state at five. So mm -hmm. I think if they do any sort of damage in their conference tournament where they get past their first matchup and, you know, push into that next matchup, I think they maybe make the case. Don't forget Cornell is at 13 right now. If they do anything in the ECAC tournament, Mankato's at 15. Yep. So Mankato could also be a team that, that slips in there as well too. I think Alaska has the potential to maybe be the first number four seed, but mm -hmm. you know, yeah, this is why we're wrong. So, all right. Yeah. Next regional. So I'll go to Bridgeport. Okay. So Quinnipiac number one, I've got Minnesota state as the four seed. Boston University, the two with Ohio State, the third. Um, so, yeah, I'm essentially doing this the most lazy way possible, looking at the pairwise and essentially right now just kind of saying it's going to not move very much, which is the wrong way to do it. But that's how we go up. So, uh, so it'd be Quinny versus uh, the Mavericks. 
BU versus Ohio State. And again, trying to keep away the conferences too is, is the tricky part here yeah. too, right? So that's how I see it. I know yours is going to be slightly different. Yeah, I tried to balance that out too, where you didn't have two teams from the same conference because it seems like we have so much parity that we kind of have the ability to do that depending on how things shake out this year. Mm-hmm. I have Quinnipiac obviously as the one seed in this one. I put a question mark for the four seed because honestly, this one could be anybody. It could mm-hmm. be an auto bid from ECAC. It could be you know Cornell, for example. It could be Omaha, you know, depending on how they do. Mm-hmm. Um, wild to think Omaha is second in the NCHC, but they're 16 right now. So it could be Omaha as an NCHC club. I actually have a flip-flop here. I have Ohio State as the two seed. Okay. And I have Western Michigan as the three seed. The reason I say that is because Ohio State has Penn State right now in the Big Ten tourney. Um, and Penn State is right ahead of them at eight right now in the pairwise. So if Ohio State can beat Penn State, those two teams likely will flip-flop in the pairwise standings because they're going to get a matchup against each other. So that's where I see those two seeding switching, but I still think they get each other um, in the first round, meaning Ohio State and Western Michigan. They're just flipped in seeding. So I I agree with you for most of the teams. I just the four seed for this one is – kind of anybody's guest really it could it could be an right could be an auto bid here so this is the only one that i literally have a question mark on my sheet because i'm like this could really be anybody so well since you're picking and quaking question marks geez you lazy ass anyway in (laughs) allentown right i had michigan as the number one seed this is where i had cornell at the four seed um and then harvard as the number two western michigan at three yeah, that'd be, that'd be quite uh, that'd be quite a curious matchup there. Yeah, I've only got one of those teams um, that's in this regional that you mentioned. So I have Denver as the one seed. I have Mankato as the four seed. Um, yep. The Mavs potentially winning their conference tournament, but maybe not climbing beyond that four spot, which is that wild to think do. about. Um, Harvard as the two seed, they get Penn State instead of Western Michigan as the three seed in Allentown. So, and then Manchester. Um, just to finish this up, Denver is the one. I have Notre Dame as the four, Penn State at two, and I believe Michigan Tech I have at three. Yeah. Um, thank you. This is Manchester, by the way. No, I know. I'm just wondering where you put this other team that I have here. Well, I have Michigan at one, obviously. Alaska at four. So mm-hmm. Alaska will get Michigan here. Notre Dame will be the three seed. They will get BU as the two okay. seed. Um, where did you put BU? BU I put in Bridgeport. Oh, you did. Okay. I was going to yeah. say, I was like, please tell me you didn't forget the sixth yeah. overall team in the nope, country. No, I did not. Okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, I don't know which one of us is... <laughs> accurate or not probably neither of us neither of us i mean because again like you said the one thing that's cool about this year is that there's a lot of room there um that we said beyond the two seeds essentially you know nine on down there could be a lot of movement uh yeah. in this tournament uh depending and there, on how and there could be a, a lot of movement even i would say even in the two seeds but i would say halfway through there maybe seven through 16 i think we could see a lot of shuffling of the pack here st cloud a very outside chance to be a one seed you'd have to have uh colorado college maybe sweep denver and michigan lose to michigan state this weekend i would think um or michigan state that doesn't sound right maybe it does sound right no uh sorry wisconsin if they lose a game to wisconsin maybe things could get a little bit interesting um right but with that being said here's my question minnesota quinnipiac Denver, Michigan. We both had those as our one seeds in some capacity, right? Yep. How many of those one seeds make it out of their regional? Oof. And, and who are they? 
I think Minnesota, I think no question Minnesota makes it out of it. I think Denver makes it out of theirs. Quinnipiac and Michigan to me are the suspects. Yeah. I mean, again, uh, Notre Dame uh, swept Michigan. So there's, there's some, there's some room there in Quinnipiac. They're good. But again, I, I question their just the, the competition they've had. Um, and again, with mine, uh, you know, they would have Minnesota state as their first round matchup. That's a tough match. I mean, Minnesota state has disrupted. They've been one of the hotter teams in the second half besides uh, kind of a goofy end of their season. Again, that for the reason the Mavs can't win a home ice this year, it's just been weird. Um, and yeah. then you at Ohio state, I got Ohio state also a very good club. So to me, those, um, our suspect you have Western Michigan in the Michigan bracket for mine, Harvard, uh, Cornell is Cornell. So it's again, but then again, who would have thought back in 2018, 2019 that St. Cloud would have lost AIC. So yeah. Or that St. Cloud, right? St. Cloud a couple of years ago would have punched their ticket to, you know, a frozen four right. as well too. Exactly. So, when they had to go against BU and BC, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, to be honest with you, I I honestly think Minnesota is the only team that I feel comfortable saying that they're going to win their tournament or their regional. Um, and even maybe that, maybe right. Denver. Um, that Fargo regional too. Honestly, Minnesota St. Cloud Tech and RIT example for example is what I put there. That's not exactly an advantageous regional. No, if you're the Gophers, like right. You know, I mean. Let's not forget the last time Michigan Tech was in that Fargo building, their season ended in very heartbreaking fashion. I think it was a senior defenseman who lost an edge at the blue line and ended up being the OT game winner in that one. So, but and mind you, St. Cloud in 2020 was the three seed um, in their bracket too. So they beat BU and then had to, yeah. um, and then had to beat um, uh, Boston College um, again in that regional final. Yeah. Um, so you know, just to kind of give everybody a little bit um, of an idea of where you know. It doesn't matter again. Um, yeah, it really doesn't. It really doesn't. You just need to punch your ticket in. And, uh, you know, granted, the whole mice feel maybe, you know, just the, the only advantage really is you get last change. But at, yeah. at the end of it, you know, I, I think St. Cloud, just because of maybe some personnel could utilize that um, and yeah. really need it if they can get it. So uh, being a two seed does help, um, especially in your first round. Um, you obviously, depending on, you know, in my region, you, you'd have to face the Gophers if you're able to take care of business against Alaska, um, which St. Cloud has beaten the Gophers, right? So it's like, there's not, it's a one-off, right? Yeah, and, and how it ends up in the air. And how much do you not want to play a team like Alaska, by the way, who's given Denver fits this season? Like, you know, yes. I um, really, if there's anything that happens, I really hope they make the tournament. That's basically what it comes down to. They've got Lindenwood this weekend, so they got to take care of business here. But yep. uh, Huskies Warming House podcast, big Nanooks fans right now, I would say. I think it'd be awesome to see them as an independent be in the tournament. I, wherever they are, I just want them to make the big dance. I think that would be awesome. I think it'd be tough right now. Again, the uh, 20 wins, 10 losses for, for Fairbanks, uh, you know, the, the Nooks coming into this uh, this final weekend. You take care of business against Lindenwood. I don't know how you hold them out of the tournament right now. I really don't. Whether yeah. it's a three seed or four seed, uh, again, auto bids point, is, is the only thing. It's like if you're sitting at like four, if you're sitting at like 14 and you get the CCHA who gets like if Bowling Green wins the CCHA and you get the ECAC who gets a weird winner yeah, that's well, not that's Harvard or Quinnipiac, then things get interesting. Obviously got to take care of business against Lindenwood, like you mentioned, but they were 
Fairbanks was like 17 last weekend in the pairwise and they moved up to 12. So there's still a lot of volatility essentially in the pairwise as well too. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. we could be totally off base within next week, um, which would be part for the course in the show, I would say. Um, But nonetheless, speaking of next week, of course, men's hockey finishing up this weekend at home for the regular season against Duluth women's hockey is done. We will still track the WCHA and of course the NCAA tournament on that side. Minnesota wild have four games this week. And for our show, we will be recording on Monday night, likely a Tuesday morning release for next week as we get you primed and ready for some playoff action on the men's side. For Nick Max and I am Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den. And your one-timer coming, they score! She scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.